Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Coach Elizabeth. When I started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. So now I'm here to answer all your questions about running and running adjacent topics to help you become a better, smarter, more knowledgeable runner. Whether you're brand new or you've been doing this for a while, there's always more we can learn about running. And now you can train with Running Explained wherever you go. Check out the new Run Club by Running Explained app. The Run Club by Running Explained gives you the freedom to build your own training schedule using Running Explained training plans, including training for races, building your base, post-race recovery, running for fitness, and more, and you can swap between plans as needed. Then layer on a running-specific strength training program that matches your goals and includes plyo, core, and mobility. Plus, you have instant access to a variety of resources at your fingertips, including training guides, pacing resources, run fueling 101, and more. Join the Run Club Plus for a monthly live group coaching call led by me, Coach Elizabeth, plus in-app chat support and other fun inclusions. Start your three-day free trial now at runningexplained.co slash the run club or by visiting the link in the show notes. And now let's get started. My guest this week is Dr. Victoria Seckley, aka Train Smart, Run Strong. Vicki and I have been friends for a while now, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with her about races that just knock you down and sideways and shake you to your core, and not in a good way. Because even for us runners, for whom this is admittedly a hobby, we still have some pretty big goals sometimes. And what happens? What should you do next when you have a big goal performance, a big goal attempt that just everything seems like that could go wrong does? And it leaves you questioning and maybe a little bit shaken and hopefully not injured, but it can be a lot to manage. And Vicki went through something exactly like this in the past few years with training for and racing her first marathon. I won't spoil it because it's the whole topic of this show, but this is about the pressure that we put on ourselves to perform in a certain way and how we can cultivate resilience and goals that work with us to get the most out of what we're trying to do as runners. Dr. Victoria Sackley, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have you here. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on again. I love your show. I love you. This is fantastic. I'm excited to chat. <laughs> I was so, so I realized is you and I chat all the time, like yeah. in real life, well, in real internet life. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was like, have I, have you really not been on the show since season one, which feels like a literal lifetime ago? Oh my goodness. It does. 
so here we are. <laughs> you know what? I, I It's the same thing. Like, I feel like we chat all the time and podcasts almost feel like, I mean, the podcasts that we do together are kind of like us chatting. So it kind of feels like it had no time has passed at all. <laughs> So today I am very excited to talk about a topic that is, so you are a physical therapist by Mm -hmm. trade and training. You are Mm -hmm. a runner and a sports physical therapist, but Mm -hmm. instead of picking your brain about injury and regular PT topics today, we're going to talk about the running side of who you are because you have had a really, I would say really interesting, but I think a common experience in the past 18 months or so with your experience in races Mm -hmm. and how you come, like, I don't want to say it called a comeback, but how about we give the synopsis and then we can dive into what this all means and, and the things that you've learned. Absolutely. I think we have to start just from saying like, I am generally, I guess what I would consider a pretty novice racer. I'm not a novice runner. I've been running for forever, but I always kind of used running as my like stress-free outlet. Like I'd never, I never wanted to join competitions. I kind of just enjoyed getting out there. I honestly wore no watch. I didn't really track my runs. And this was, this wasn't even like 15 years ago. This is like five years ago when there were smartwatches and heart rate monitors and Strava and all of these things. I I never really um, was interested in the competition aspect of running until very recently. And it was kind of like a switch almost one day where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do this. I kind of want to do this in a different way now. I kind of want to see what I have in this sport Um, in a good way, you know, very not like not like scared or nervous, but like in a healthy way to, to kind of start to compete in this sport. And so I ran my first marathon, which was New York city marathon in 2022, um, which was a disaster and you're going to go into it. And then I ran Chicago in 2023, which was a much better experience for me. And we'll get into all of those details, but it's just a really good reminder that um, races, no matter what, you know, there's so many factors involved and you cannot control all of it. And I think that's the one thing that I learned just from when I decided to enter, you know, the quote unquote competitive running scene. And as a recreational, obviously I am not a professional or elite. So, you know, I definitely am not considered that, but there's still a lot to take in when you're a runner recreational there's still a lot of numbers involved you want to push yourself you're competing against yourself you're competing against the others around you it seems like um and yet we can get so caught up in it all um so yeah my two marathons that i've run i've run a number of halves as well and i've learned a lot from all of them And obviously, you know, this may not resonate with you because it's the marathon specifically, but as with all the things that we talk about in the show and how running is this metaphor for life, like you can, you can apply this journey and these experiences and these takeaways to maybe it was a 5k that went sideways or a mile or it was an ultra, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think there are a lot of commonalities that runners experience in going through the process of having a race that is a unparalleled, unmitigated disaster. And I think most, most of us have had at least, hopefully not too many, but at least one experience that, you know, uh, beyond, beyond the, um, 
you know, disappointment of not achieving the goal or like, oh, it was, re- it was really painful, like, you know, suffering in that way. There is something that when, when we're striving for this goal and then we have this race experience that is essentially the opposite of everything that we'd hoped and trained for, there is some real foundational, like, who am I? What, why am I doing this? What is, what is happening to my world right now? Yes. Repercussions that I don't think we talk about enough. We could be like, oh, it's just one race. You can pick yourself back up and do another one. But like, but those are real feelings that, and real kind of existential crises that we go through. Oh yeah. I I think that so many of us can relate to that kind of like what you mentioned, no matter what competition we're talking about. Heck, it doesn't even have to do anything with running, but we can tie so much of who we are as a person to our successes and failures. Um, And I think a lot of that is just, it's who we are as humans. It's how we strive for goals. It can be healthy in, in certain ways and it can be unhealthy in other ways. And I definitely have learned a lot and I'm still learning about that aspect of myself and why I put so much pressure on myself, why I really take my worth as a human in these numbers that I see on the board when I run a race. Um, Why are those so connected? Um, But I think it is a very relatable experience that I think all of us go through, especially runners, because running in general in, in this sport, it's like you're out there. The the and we're talking recreational runners. We're not talking about you know the ones who 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 are looking to win and and win prize money and things like that. But it's really us against ourselves out there at the end of the day. So how does that equate to? you know, success and failure and your worth as a human is so interesting. And I'm excited to chat more about that today. So talk to us about your experience training for and racing New York. And I think the whole, the the twist in this is that that year weather-wise was awful. It was, I was spectating that day. I was standing there sweating as a spectator going, Oh my God. Oh my God. My poor runners. Yeah. Yeah. New York city 22. If you, if you, if you know, you know, yeah. Yeah. So talk to us. Yeah. So talk to us about that. I don't know if you want to start about what your expectations were, or obviously having the benefit of hindsight, thinking about like in retrospect, there were kind of some hints along the way that maybe I wasn't going, you know, whatever it is that you've, you've processed, um, in thinking about that. Yeah. So we're going to get really personal here. I hope you're ready for it, Elizabeth, because I think it, it, it helps to understand, um, me as a person in, and I think that's what will help a lot of runners also relate to my experience is if I kind of tell the full story as best as I can. And I think that'll make a lot more sense of with the experience that I had in New York. And I think it's important to talk about too, because everything that we do is connected and linked and, and how we get to a certain place. Definitely. Um, it, it matters. It matters based on where we're coming from. So I want to give you the full story. Now, my background does start in a sense that I have a pretty, um, athletic family, uh, both of my parents, they, they're, they play tennis, like tennis is their main sport and they play tennis, you know, they get home from work and they go straight 
to the tennis club for two, three hours. Like this is, I grew up like on a tennis court. Um, so it was always about athletics. And I remember growing up, my parents put me into soccer. They put me into swimming. Tennis was still the main thing. So it really, you know, athletics in general has always been something that my parents have put a huge emphasis on in my life um, and my sister's life. And so growing up, we were just, we were really, you know, that was part of our worth as a human part of our personality, um, especially in the tennis scene. Um, my parents, uh, my dad very specifically pushed us into competitive tennis. Um, I was competing in tournaments when I was eight years old. I literally remember going to a tennis match at eight, like not really understanding things. Um, and once you start, once you're in that world, it's really hard to get out of it. So it's like every single weekend, we're now going to competitions. We start to learn who the other girls are. I win a big match. Now this bar is set higher. I win another big match. Now the bar is set higher. Suddenly I lose a match. Now I'm crying when I'm eight years old because I think my whole world has ended because I've lost my first big tennis match against someone I maybe shouldn't have lost to. Um, so all of these were like really pivotal moments in my life. And I think um, I've talked about this a lot on podcasts, so I'm not going to go that deep into it, but I think it's still really important to understand the relationship of these sports, it, you know, especially at a junior level and how serious our um, parents take them, how serious, you know, especially here in the US, uh, people get real scholarships, people make big money from these types of sports. So um, you can get really pushed into this stuff very early. And I think that's originally where my sense of self was from the get-go equated to success and failure. Um, so I have kind of always dealt with that and that struggle. Um, but, you know, the side of that was that was strictly in tennis. And when running, when I started running and I, and I um, started going out for myself and enjoying my runs and realizing that this is not how tennis is at all for me, I always thought that running was like my outlet and my thing and something that made me happy and didn't come with pressure and didn't come with any, you know, my parents looking at me and saying, oh, you won this match. You didn't win this match. It was like, they didn't even care if I went out for a run or not, um, as long as it didn't affect what my tennis match was the next day. So I think a big piece of that was recognizing that like, oh, shoot, it's not just tennis where I'm taking this almost like trauma with me, it is really something that is following me in many areas of my life. And that was my first big discovery with the New York City Marathon in 2022. And I think in my um, experience contributed to it going so badly and being so disappointing for me and kind of my first big learning point um, from that race. So just a little bit of a background too in that um, going into that marathon, I re literally remember, and if you followed me on Instagram since the New York City Marathon, you will probably remember me going on my story saying, I don't have a time goal. I don't really care. I'm just trying to enjoy it. Uh, you know, the only way I can explain it is that was a lie. Like I was lying to myself. It's not even like I was going on there and lying to everyone. It's like, I so truly wanted to not have a time goal that it's like I had to tell everyone my parents, my husband, 
every, everyone on social media who follows me that like, nope, I don't have a time goal. I'm not putting pressure on myself. Internally, oh, the bar was set high. I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that, first of all, my sister, who I'm not competitive with, I love her. She is my best friend, truly. The first marathon she ever ran, she qualified for Boston. So that's not even in the sense that like, I want to beat her time. It was more just like, oh, well, if she can do it, I could probably do it because we're sisters, right? We have the same experience. We have the same athleticism level. Not like I'm going to be my sister. It was more like, that's, that's what's going to happen with me. I'm going to qualify for Boston, the first marathon I ever run. Oh, was I sorely mistaken. But anyways, so a lot of, as you can see, a lot of pressure mounting on myself put on myself by myself like it's not even like anyone else my my parents don't even really know running that much so I can't even blame it on them saying that they put a lot of pressure on me to perform um I had never even really set any goals for myself as I said this was my first marathon and one of my first ever like real races and real competitions one of my first major race um so to think about where I got that pressure it was probably from a number of things and like honestly at the end of the day unhealed trauma from my experience as a child in sports and growing up and just having an athletic family and honestly setting expectations for myself that um were kind of ridiculous so I already went into that training experience with all of this in the back of my mind and now I look at it and I look back and I go on my Instagram story and I respond to people and I say, please do not put any time goals onto your first marathon. And this goes for any race. Do not set yourself up for that because it really, the first race marathon or not, but especially when it comes to like a longer distance race, like a marathon really should just be reserved for a learning experience for having fun, for understanding that distance, for going through the journey of training. Um, it's so, but it is, I also acknowledge that it's so easy for me to sit here on the other side of that and say it. And I also want to be honest with every single person listening to this podcast and tell you that that wasn't me. I didn't actually, like, if I'm being so honest with myself, I put a high expectation on myself going into that marathon and that I think led to a lot of disappointment. So, yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
like with so many things that I think running helps us uncover is again, like there's so much more than it seems. Right. And I think this is a really, this is such a difficult conversation or I want to say a conversation because it's like conversation you have with yourself, but thinking about like, well, where do these expectations come from? Where does this pressure come from? Because the flip side of this, when I like play devil's advocate, because this is the conversation I have with myself all the time is like, but shouldn't we have big goals? Shouldn't we strive to do the best that we can? Shouldn't we like, ha- you know, like work hard and and do, you know, our very best all the time? And what's wrong with having, you know, these really big goals for yourself? And, and I think the the important thing to remember is that, you know, it's, there's a time and a place mm-hmm. to be hyper aggressive and you can have a lot of, desire to become really, really good at something or the best of your ability, but you don't have to be that way literally every single day. (laughs) 100%. Also, I think one of the biggest points of that is your goals should never have to do anything with who you are as a person, your personality, like your ability to go through this life. Like you should set goals absolutely to achieve them but with the understanding that if that doesn't happen it's okay that's not going to affect who you are as a person I think a lot of that is hard to do in the beginning of things like you know running your first marathon I think it comes with experience to have that understanding well not honestly not even because I think there are some professionals too who go into these big goals and then like just get absolutely wrecked when they don't win a race when they don't get the time they want. So I really think that, yes, a little bit of it is experience, but I think a lot of it is just like, honestly, mental health, that whole conversation and the understanding that you can absolutely have an awesome goal, but that is not tied to or equated to you, your personality, your sense and your worth as a human. And that's really hard to do sometimes a test I've been doing for my own, my own like sanity and health and goal setting, Mm -hmm. all of this is that when I'm thinking about goals and like, you know, or signing up or not signing up for races, if I start to think about the result in what other people might think of me because of that, Mm -hmm. right? Well, if I do this race and I run this time, oh my God, people will think I'm fill in the blank here. Right. And also there, you know, obviously I think for you and I both being professionals in this space, there kind of is that added level of like, first, you know, there is that kind of added level of expectation of like, okay, now I'm I'm literally a professional running coach. And like, I should try to be the best I can possibly be all the time, which is also not healthy or realistic. But for most people who are not even in our, our position, um, if you are trying to achieve goals based on what other people might or might not think about you, that mm-hmm. might not be the mm-hmm. goal that you should be setting. 100%. And, and you kind of said it nicely too. Um, it's hard when you have eyes on you as well, like in the social media space. I think that's something I can, I definitely can't say that that didn't affect me um, going into New York's too, in terms of like, I was so open with my training, how I was ramping things up. I share, I mean, if you guys follow me, you know that I put a lot of my life on social media. So I felt like a lot of that was just equated to my success in the race as well. So I think that it, it, yeah, I would definitely be lying if I said that how, what I thought others would think of me was, it was a hundred percent, you know, 
how I was going to see my race on that day as well. So I've had to unpack a lot of that and kind of similarly to the conversation we were having before, like the pressure that we put on ourselves. I'm not sure if I'm 100% there yet. Um, and I'm still working through that. And I think even though Chicago and we'll get into this more, but at Chicago, I think I was still bringing that along with me, even though I had a better race, I had a better experience. Um, I don't think that I let that go. I actually remember literally like two or three weeks before the Chicago marathon, I had some random person like on my Instagram made a comment, something like, Oh, just another like slow marathon runner or like, you know, over three hour marathon runner, like commenting, like they know what they're talking about. And I just responded like, well, actually I'm a physical therapist and like professional in this space commenting on, on what I know and my knowledge and expertise. And I still had people responding to even that saying like, well, if you're not a fast runner, like you, you don't, you don't have a say in running fast or anything with running. And I remember texting my coach about that and being like, this is really affecting me, like going into Chicago. And like, it affects me because it is a trigger of mine because of the pressure that I'm putting on myself. And, and I can't say that this isn't like something that deeply hurts me, but why is this hurting me? Um, why is this still bothering me? And even now, why would this bother me? So I think it's a lot to unpack, especially being, you know, open in this space and on social media. God, that's tough. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about that, I mean, <laughs> that and like the comments specifically is that like compared to elite runners, 250 is slow. <laughs> like 100%. even like being a quote unquote sub three hour marathoner, which is objectively a very fast marathon time yeah. compared to professional marathoners, that's them jogging a marathon, right? So I feel like for there's this elite, like like this elitist sense of attitude of people who are like the fastest of of the hobby joggers, yeah, right? And it's like, dude, we're all in this together. Well, also not not for nothing, but and and this is no knock against any professional or elite runner, but like not all of them can be good coaches. So I think, and again, the people who are commenting this. They didn't want, they, they were just trolls, right? So they're not actually looking for that. But something I should have said to myself is like, it's not, I, I'm not trying to be a professional. I'm not trying to be an elite runner. I'm trying to be a good coach. I'm trying, trying to be a good physical therapist. And yeah, I, I am being the best coach and physical therapist that I can be a lot better than some super, super fast runners could be. Um, and just like having a better understanding of, like exactly what my goals are, um, I think is so important because a lot of that isn't even equated to the time on. Um, so like just, you know, having different goals that don't have to do with the time on the clock, I think is important too for every runner, not just for coaches, non-coaches. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting note just about, I mean, I'm thinking about this the way, obviously somebody who has said troll things, yeah. but like <laughs> the way that, the way that sometimes we, we, um, hear these things or people say something to us in a way that really affects our identity and our sense of like worth, right? Because obviously, objectively, you are a knowledgeable professional of this space and some random troll on the internet, right, is coming down and essentially saying, you don't know anything. And you're like, wait, what? Like, that's 
it's so bizarre, yeah. right? But then to think, to have that moment of self-doubt and say, oh my God, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, which is like, clearly you do, but there is that moment, that momentary like, oh my God, maybe my entire life is a lie. Okay. So I want to unpack this even further and we're just going to so many heights in this podcast episode. I feel like this is going to be great, but um, I think a lot of that is also just like being a woman in this space too. Um, yeah. And uh, women and this is such a generalized comment, but stick with me for a second. I think a lot of women in our society are raised to be perfect at what we're doing. And if we're not perfect at it, we're just not good enough, whether that's pressure that we're putting on ourselves for whatever reason. But objectively, I do think a lot of how men go through life is like they can try things and fail and not be seen as a failure for whatever reason. But women are put on a different standard. Um, I think we, it's a lot harder to have certain successes as we know, just in general. Um, so I think, yeah, a lot of what gets me in terms of the comments that people make on my Instagram are absolutely just like triggers that I have in my life. And that one in terms of me being knowledgeable and being a key professional and player in my profession and my career absolutely has to do with the fact that I am a woman and I need to be perfect all the time and I can't fail. And oh my God, someone told me I'm not. And oh my God, maybe they're right because I need to be perfect. And it always has to be like, I always have to be, you know, coming with the best information and the best education for everyone. And as soon as that starts to get questioned, like, am I really perfect anymore? Um, so I think a lot of that, I mean, there's so much to unpack with that comment in general, but it's just the truth on how we feel. I don't know if you feel the same way, but yeah, I mean, I feel you. It's that like, I'm hyper prepared and yes. obviously, you know, I'm not a doctor of physical therapy, but it's like, Oh, if I'm putting together something, it's like, okay, how many sources can I pull together on this? How well can I defend my position yes. in advance of even stating my position on it? Yeah. Like I'm getting ready to defend a, a thesis yeah. every single time I post something on Instagram. Right. And I hope, you know, I, you live, you learn and you grow and it's not nearly as nerve wracking as it is now as it used to be. But um, I've also noticed being a professional in this space is that, and this is really totally off topic. No, I love this. This is important though, (laughs) is that I've also tended to, to see that, um, women who run and want to engage in running for whatever their goal is, and there maybe they're lifting and maybe they're triathletes or maybe they're whatever. There is this kind of implicit assumption that it, the women's side of it is somehow like, Oh, that's so cute. You're trying to get fit. Like, Oh, good for you. You know? Yeah. And it's like, no, like these women have serious athletic goals, yeah. right? We are trying to run our fastest five K's and go after ultra marathons and lift heavy. And like, it's not like for fun and fitness. It's like serious. It's something we care deeply about, but it's taken less seriously because we're women. I mean, that's just all women in sports. I feel like it's something that we always have to, I mean, yeah, that's a whole other conversation that we can go down (laughs) that obviously I'm always willing to have, but I I completely agree. And I think um, social media kind of makes that even more apparent. Um, But at the same time, you know, we, we just got to keep showing up. And something that you mentioned earlier really brings, brings it up for me. It's like, 
I do that too, where I'm about to post something and then I double check it. I triple check it. I make sure I have my sources. I make sure I have the answers ready. And I almost think like, as I've continued my page on social media and the growth I have on there, uh, I've had to really unpack a lot of that. And I feel like now that I'm slowly unpacking it, it's allowing me to be more creative and just more myself and a little bit less afraid of like, if someone says that this is wrong, like, okay, uh, this is what I'm posting. This is my page. Like, I, you know, I'm just trying to, I, I'm, I know my intentions. I know I'm trying to do my best and really trying to let go of that perfection. I think a lot of what I do on social media is helping me just in my normal life also be a little bit more creative and free and less of that like perfectionist mentality. And I feel like a lot of runners can relate to that because usually if you're in the sport like running, you are probably someone who like, you know, has a routine, has a specific calendar, has a little bit of those perfectionist qualities. And sometimes that can really hold us back from being the best we can be and allowing for growth and allowing for our creativity and allowing for us to be our best selves. So, yeah. One of the best lessons that I think all of us can learn, but especially runners, because we do tend to be in this like black or white style of thinking Mm -hmm. is that learning to live in areas of gray and uncertainty, just like in general, right? Like not everything has to have a yes or a no, a black or a white, a good or a bad, a success or a failure. Like it's okay to be like, I don't know. And this, and I want to talk about this because we, as we go back into talking about your experience in New York, is that this kind of like, when it comes to running and racing is that every single time we step out the door, really, you know, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. And most days are super low risk. Like I'm pretty sure today's easy run is going to be fine. Right. You know, but the stakes get the uncertainty really amps up about big goals and big things that we attempt where it's like, we can prepare the best we possibly can. But at the end of the day, the race that we're hoping to run is still shrouded in uncertainty. And that freaks a lot of people out. 100%. And I think a lot of that too, we can relate it back to just training plans in general as well. And people, I think, really strive for this idea that like, if the majority of my runs aren't going perfectly, or if I'm not like feeling 100% on all of my runs, like then... I'm not cut out for this or this, or I shouldn't be doing this or I'm doing something wrong or, you know, you know, all of those ideas that like, if it's not perfect, then it's nothing. Um, and I think a lot of that has to be let go as you're training for something like a marathon, um, because the marathon itself is humbling. And if you don't spend the time unpacking that, being able to listen to your body, being able to give yourself grace and being able to sit in that, just like you, what you mentioned, uncertainty of, Hey, this might not go well. Okay. And the day continues, you know, and like, and if we don't learn how to do that in our training runs, then we don't know how to pivot and we don't know how to make the most of an event that maybe isn't going perfectly. And a lot of that is what I struggled with in the New York City Marathon. I was not prepared for it to not go perfectly. And that in the end was my downfall, I think. So 
I mean, a marathon is challenging even when everything does go right, yeah. right? There's oh, no yeah. thing as like <laughs> yeah. an, an easy marathon. And like for those people, those few of you who always tend to reach out to me and be like, I don't understand what the big deal about marathons are. Like oh. I do them all the time. Like, congratulations. You are right. literally the exception, yeah. right? Like even elite runners yeah. talk about how challenging this distance is. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about the pivoting because yeah. you mentioned pivot. And I think it's just such a good thing because the un- living in the uncertainty, being prepared as you can be, but pivoting when you need to, right? That day in New York, 75 degrees, 75% humidity and sun. Yep. Oh, I got a bark. <laughs> 75% humidity and some sun already requires a good amount of pivoting from experienced marathoners. Yes. Talk us through what happened. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert. I did not pivot, nor did I know how to pivot. So, uh, you know, I, I don't even know now if I know how to pivot, but I know a heck of a lot more than I did that day. So by the way, just to preface this, pivoting is tough. Um, it is not easy. It's a skill. I think that most, you know, that does come from experience, um, and does come 100%. from just like being, you know, racing and, and, and again, tying yourself worth into goals, all of that type, type of stuff. So, let me tell you about my experience and then we'll kind of get more into probably what I should have done. And I don't want to get into like the shoulda, coulda, woulda type thing, but um, just, I guess what I learned from it. So yeah, uh, New York city marathon, I was going through the training. I you know was working with my coach, Nick, who you've had on here before. He's amazing. The perfect coach for me, someone who is not going to, again, tie my self-worth into the numbers. That is why I work with him because I know that's something that I've struggled with. I had, looking back, I had everything to set myself up for my success. And lo and behold, I got in the way of my own success. Shocker. You know, that's how it ends for, I think, most of us. So um, yeah, going into New York City training, and I've said this before, my training plan was perfect. What is a perfect training plan? I don't know. But in the sense that I did the majority of my runs, I ran the mileage, I modified when I needed to, I was flexible-ish in my training. Um, But ultimately, I felt so prepared for the New York City Marathon. I also lived in New York City at the time. I ran the like half of the course. I ran like different parts of the course. Like It's not like I was going into this being like, first marathon. I don't really know what to expect. I don't know anything about the course. I don't know anything about what's going to happen. Like I've run New York Roadrunner races before. I've run the bridges. I was as prepared as I thought I could be. Um, Which probably again was part of my downfall. It's like no matter how good of a training you can go through, you're still racing on one day and there are still so many factors that can happen on that day that you are just so out of your control and that's what I was not prepared for so two weeks leading up to the event you know we saw that the temperatures were starting to rise I ignored it I actually started to say like you know what I I like the heat like I generally I trained in the summer heat I generally like hot weather um you know, I, this, I'm going to thrive. Like this is going to be an okay situation for me. It's going to be fine. As we get closer and closer to the event, you know, you start to get the emails from New York Roadrunner saying like, it's dangerously warm and runners be careful out there. Nowhere in my head was I thinking, okay, maybe I shouldn't go out 
at the pace that I want to go out. Or maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should start to think about like a B or a C goal. No, there was only an A goal in my mind. Um, an A goal that I wasn't telling anyone, by the way, just myself, just an A goal with myself. Um, I had kind of brought it super up. Super secret A goal. Super secret A goal that no one could know. And everyone's going to be so shocked when I run the best marathon of my life. Ugh, I like literally cringe thinking back to, to my mindset back then. I had kind of told Nick about it. I, w- yeah. I want to say I want to say that though because I'm like, and I know Nick really well, yeah. and obviously, like yeah. as a coach, like, and you would never let anybody be like, "What's your goal?" But yeah. if a runner comes to us and says, "Like my goal is to finish," we're gonna help you race plan totally. for your stated goal, yeah. right? So if you have a super secret a goal that you don't tell us about, yeah. we can't help you plan for that. <laughs> well, I mean, to Nick's credit and to my fault, like I did, I did kind of mention it to Nick. And he was exactly how I would assume you would respond, how I would respond to my athlete. Like he was very supportive of that being like, yeah, that could happen. You know, like your fitness is there, but he also, you know, and like every coach knows like anything could happen on that day. But of course, when it's your race and your day and months and months and months of training comes down to it, it's like, I had blinders on, like this was happening, whether I wanted it to or not, like this was the goal that I was setting out for. And I just was going in with honestly like blind confidence is the only way to describe it. I don't even know where that came from because I'm generally like a little bit more of an anxious person and I never really set myself up for that type of stuff. But for whatever reason, I was, you know, very confident that, um, that this was going to happen. So no pivoting, no pivoting on my part, no pivoting. Even when I sat, uh, waiting for the race to start thinking, wow, it's a lot hotter and way more humid than I thought it would be. Wow. If this was a regular training run, I would probably modify it. I probably would have gone slower. I probably would have stopped to take water breaks. Wow. If this was just a regular day, I may have skipped my run. I probably would have done things differently. I definitely would have started the run at 9 30 AM. I would have been out there at 5 AM. That's for sure. But like it's the New York city marathon. You don't have that choice. Um, even as all of these things were going through my mind, I didn't let myself change. And that's issue number one. Um, Even when it comes down to it, the second before the gun goes off, while you're running the race, midway, three quarters of the way, whatever it is, you should be able to allow yourself to pivot no matter what. Um, And I think that that's something that is hard because running is a competitive event that uh, that takes months to train for and execute on one day, um, which is different from how I, you know, obviously with tennis, it's like you're going to competitions every weekend. You can win, you can win a huge tournament, you can lose in the next round. Like it kind of just keeps it flowing. Running is really different than that. Um, so I think that's tough to wrap your head around as well. And yeah, I wasn't prepared to have a B, C, D goal because I didn't want one. I wanted my A goal and that was it. And that killed me in the end because I went out, um, the gun went off. I, first of all, I'm obsessed with New York city. I'd lived there since I, since 2013. Um, so almost 10 years at that point. And I was excited. I had nerves. I was like crying because they had the, you know, they played the New York, New York before, like so many emotions. I went out at my half marathon pace. Up the bridge. Up the bridge. 
there's no, there's no, there's no reason for that. Um, I can think back to what I was thinking that moment. It was more just like I was running on vibes, which I know so many of us do. Um, it's not great to do that. There has to be, especially in our long distance races, like you can't just run on vibes the first three miles. Like it's really important to kind of hold yourself back and stick to some sort of race plan. Um, and yeah, after that, I just felt incredibly sick and somehow crawled towards the finish line. And like, I can't even explain to you the amount of tears that I cried afterwards, just thinking like, I can't believe I went out there and I wasn't able to do it. I blamed myself a lot, which I mean, I did make a lot of mistakes, but at the end of the day, like the weather was just insane on that day. And like, there was no way I was ever going to hit that goal, even if I had raced it smart. Um, and I wasn't ready to admit that until months after I had to like really break it down. Um, but yes, the, the biggest thing was that I just didn't pivot and I didn't allow myself to pivot and change and think that there was another option. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I want to talk about the unique experience of going out too fast yeah. and knowing you're going out too fast, yeah. but doing it anyways. <laughs> 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 I had an experience in my second marathon, which is really interesting. I, uh, so I, my second marathon, I was trying to qualify for Boston. Like, okay, let's put some context behind this. My first marathon I ran after I'd been running for six months and I ran a 405, <laughs> which is objectively That's amazing, solid, That's amazing. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so in my mind, and then like two, three months later, I ran a 146 half marathon and I was like, sweet, maybe I can qualify for Boston in the fall, which like aggressive, maybe not completely unrealistic, but just like really aggressive. But the problem was at the time I wasn't doing this. I had like a regular person job in an office Mm -hmm. and I got a different job that required a longer commute. Mm -hmm. And I was living in Florida at the time and it was the summer. So Mm -hmm. going from running 40 miles a week to like maybe 20 and like most of that on the weekend yeah and then heading into i ran the las vegas marathon which they no longer do and it used to be in november Uh. so i show up in november in las vegas it's a night race um i'm woefully underpacked i'm thinking it's gonna be cool in the desert it was like 33 degrees outside it was like (laughs) almost and i'm wearing shorts and a singlet and like arm warmers that i'd like that were like upf arm protectors that i wore like on hot summer runs. And I was like, oh, this is really, this is to my benefit because I train in warm weather. I'll be able to run so fast in the cold weather. Right. (laughs) Uh, I also had not learned anything about fueling or hydrating. Like I don't actually remember taking water during that race. And I certainly Uh. didn't take any gels, but I remember going out. I was nowhere close to running a 3:30. I probably could have run close to a four hour marathon if I just done smart things, which is nine ish pace, nine Oh five. I went out and I was running and it's a flat race. I was running eight 30 pace. 
for the first eight miles. And I remember thinking to myself, this feels dangerous, but I'm going to see what Let's happens. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Let's see what happens. I want to see where this goes. I'm like, I don't know. I feel really good. Like, let's just see what happens. And it's this weird, like, it's, it's, I don't know. I I imagine for people who are like, you know, adrenaline junkies in the true sense, people who go like cliff diving and that kind of stuff. It's that sense of like, like, oh my God, something terrible might happen, but let's see what happens. Exactly. Right? And it like... So I, for those of you who are listening who have had similar experiences, like we feel you, like yeah. we've been there, we know it's a bad idea and we know what it's like to do it anyways. Yeah. Yep. That marathon had so, I, yeah, I called my husband twice during it. I called I, my like, husband during mine too. <laughs> yeah. I was like crying and he was like, you have to finish. Yeah. Like there's no way to not, like you're in, Where like are you gonna it's go? nighttime. Yeah. Um, I was in so much pain by the end. It was brutal. Yeah. And you learn. And I think the hard part is like, and this is kind of an issue with social media that we see a lot. We see a highlight reel. We see those people talking about like, oh, I went out and I was like, what if I just held this pace and then I did it? That's rare. Like that is the exception. That is not the rule. Like so many more times it happens the opposite way. And trust me, it is not worth that one maybe special event where you're going to hold a faster pace than you even trained for. It's not worth it because that is probably not going to happen. Um, yeah. I tend to find that those situations, because I've had that happen too, and it's the best feeling in the world. Right. You're like, oh my God, you literally feel like a superhero. You're like, I'm impervious. Right. I'm invincible. I could do anything. I tend to find those situations happen with people who are relatively new. Like yes. they genuinely yes. don't know yes. how fast Good they're point. capable of running or people who are coming back from a long time away and are underestimating how much residual fitness True. they might have. True. The longer you're in the sport the less and less and less likely those races or workouts are going to happen. I also think a lot of people who are going to the marathon distance, maybe from like the 10 Ks and the halves, that experience can also probably happen more likely in a shorter distance race than in a longer distance race. So maybe like that has actually happened to me too in a half marathon where it's like, I go out too fast and like, okay, well I only have four more miles to go. So like, I guess I'll try and hold this. That is very different than when you have 15 more miles to go. Right. So I think that that's also the other thing of like recognizing the race that you are running Um, and most of the times if it's getting longer and it's just generally a, I don't want to say more difficult because a half marathon distance can be challenging as well, but like in that sense where it's like, you're just going to spend more time out there, the chances of that happening is going to be much less as well. Yeah. So for me, after I ran my disaster race, <laughs> which I ran a 420, which like objectively, awesome, right? Still above average. But in my mind, I was trying to run at least a sub four, right? Yeah. I was trying to run, I was trying to go out from Boston. So that's like failure. I was so ashamed. I like didn't want to talk about it. And I hadn't really joined a big running community. Like I was active on Instagram, but you know, but it was like, I didn't, I just didn't want to talk. I went to this like cave and I actually ended up breaking my toe a couple weeks later and like just took, a, you know, and then I had to recover from that and like took time off or like burnout. And then it's this whole like rebirth, but like the, and I want to talk about this too, because I know you struggled with, with this after New York. It's like that sense of like, you know, that of like shame. Right. Yes. And like, 
I, and you blame yourself, 100%. right? And you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, maybe this isn't for me. Like, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt a lot of that. Um, and again, like, the, it's hard because even like the time that I got in the New York City Marathon is probably what a lot of people want to train for. So it's hard to speak on it and not almost sound like I'm just being ridiculous too. Um, and I get that. Like, I totally get that. I totally get that. Like I, I'm, I'm happy. I am honestly happy that I even finished that day. Um, and that's what I should be stuck on. But yeah, I absolutely felt shame with my time because I had a much more specific goal time in mind. Um, and again, I think that comes back to, equating our worth as a coach, our worth as a runner, our worth as a human to that number on the clock. Um, and I'm just going to bring it back again in the sense that like, I should have been so much more focused on the grand scheme of things on other goals. Like I almost have, I have a lot of my athletes now, like going into a race, especially if they're super nervous about it, I actually have them write out like three goals that are not time related at all. Um, because that should like, we should not be only thinking that our one goal is like our A, a goal, B goal and C goal are all based on time. No, our A goal, B goal and C goal should be nothing to do with time. Our A goal should be finishing this and not being injured or, um, you know, finishing this and like having a learning opportunity or taking all of my gels at the time that I want to take them or, hydrating properly or doing something that we learned in training, like we really need to start flipping the script to making our goals. Like our C goal should be our time goal and our A and B goal should be something so unrelated to time um, that it's like not, it's not even a discussion because at the end of the day, unless you are in that race to win money and win prizes, who the heck cares about what that time is when you cross the finish line? Like I, I, I know as a coach with all of my athletes, I literally, that is not even the first question I ask my athletes after they finish the race. I'm like, how did you feel? How was the experience? Did you have fun? Like, let's talk about that 10 times over, over like what number you finished with. Um, and again, if there's happens to be a professional runner listening to this, like maybe they should change their goals to that too, because I, I can't imagine that there's no benefits associated with that. And the second we stop looking at the clock is the second the clock stops, we stop becoming a little, can I swear on this podcast? A little. Yes. I may censor it out because somebody got mad at me because I swore on my own podcast. Okay. Once. Well, I was going to say <laughs> but, a little bitch yeah. to the clock. <laughs> Sorry. That's a PG-13. Yeah, We're good here. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting we think back about some of our individually, right? If if you, listener, think back about the performances when you felt the absolute most amazing and strongest, whether it's a race or a workout or just like a run that you like did just happen, you're like, wow, those those performances aren't dictated by you checking your watch every five seconds and like being hyper glued to a specific pace. They are, they come from within you. Right. And, and, and that learning to race and to train in a way where you are allowing that to, to be dictated from within 
takes such a high level of self-trust yes. that a lot of runners never really cultivate. So then when we ask runners to listen to their bodies and trust themselves in races, they don't have that skill. They don't, they don't know, they don't know what that means. They don't know how to do that. So then the race goes sideways and they say, well, I listened to my body and then I went sideways. But it's like we never learned how to do that and what that means. Mm-hmm. and I think that is so important. I also think, so like now we're kind of getting into my Chicago marathon experience because I didn't do much. I mean, I did a little self-work. I definitely had a much better training cycle when it comes to Chicago in the sense that like I was less concerned about how perfect my training was. I was less concerned about getting runs on on the calendar, all of that type of stuff. I got COVID two and a half weeks before I didn't have a freak out. Literally before New York, I didn't see my friends for two months because I was that scared of getting COVID. So I was definitely like, in that sense, for my headspace, I was in a much better headspace going into Chicago. However, the clock thing was still very much looming over me. And I knew that if I didn't get the time that I wanted to, I I would, honestly, I don't even know what I would have done. and, and I had this conversation with my sister, which we'll talk about after this, but like continuing to move goalposts even after this. So like, you know, but let me, let me get into what I was going to say before that. So I truly believe that because I didn't let go of the clock and the number hanging over me going into Chicago, that I actually didn't even have my best performance on that day. And I really think the link is being able to, like Elizabeth said, trust yourself, trust your body and take away that idea that the numbers mean everything and the numbers mean success and just go with how you are feeling and trust yourself, trust your training, because that is a much more freeing opportunity for you. And you can run much more free when you have separated yourself from that. Um, and that is what I did not do in Chicago. Like I still finished that race almost like, I guess stiff isn't the right word. It was kind of like, I, I crossed the finish line and I was like, Oh, thank God. Like, thank God. I don't have to like hold this backpack of shame around anymore where like, I didn't get this number on the clock. But imagine if I'd let that go before I'd run it, how much like, how much that could have improved my ability on that day and how little I would have actually looked at my watch and maybe just kind of run the way I can run. Um, And I would like that to be a goal of mine. I mean, I definitely still have work to do, but I want that to be a goal of mine. And I think I see a lot with the athletes that I work with when we let go of that is when we start to see the change and the improvements. And, and then we don't even care because it's like, cool. I got a PR. Awesome. All right. What's the next one? Like I, or cool. I didn't get a PR. All right. Awesome. What's the next one? Um, and I think that mindset is it's hard, but it's worth it. So worth it to, to find it. What I, what I think about that, the way I conceptualize it is trying to force something yes. to happen, yes. which sounds really weird because as, as runners, it's like, well, you, you should be like working hard and in races, like you are pushing and you're, you're pressing and you're like dealing with mental discomfort and physical discomfort and the voice inside your head is telling you you want to stop. Like, but there's a difference between dealing with all of that and trying to like white knuckle and like, Literally. I'm going to make this happen no matter what. And like, in some of the best races I've had, there have been points in the race where I've been like, 
hey, my body is telling me that like I want to back off a little bit right now. So I'm going to just back off a little bit right now. And then later on, like I was able to speed back yeah. up or like have a finishing kick. But and but that that's different from like, I'm slowing down because I'm literally reaching the end of my ability to sustain this pace. And my body instead saying like, I just want to back off a little bit right now. But I think for so many runners, and this is also the issue I have with people who are like, um, insist on running with pace groups that run even splits where it's like, yes, technically like the best way to pace a flat race is to run relatively, relatively quote unquote, even splits. But in those individual miles or kilometers, if yeah, you are going to speed up and slow down. Like, and it's also why people find treadmill running to be awkward sometimes is because you don't quite realize how much you unconsciously adjust your pace ever so like little here and there. And like, and, and learning to be really in tune with that and work with it instead of against mm-hmm. it is how you get the most out of yourself. It's a weird, like, you know, you have to befriend your body and push your body and like harness your power and then like tell yourself to shut up. But we're like, but it's this really interesting interplay of, of, yeah. you know, listening and responding and then also pushing when needed. One hundred percent. And again, I truly believe that to work against each other in the sense that if you are solely running a race to run a PR or to get a certain number on the clock, I think it's virtually impossible to do that, to truly listen to your body, to truly make the changes that are natural and normal for you to make during a race. Because if you are so solely connected to that number, are you really listening to your body? Are you really sitting there saying, I should slow down right now or I should speed up or I'm feeling good or I'm not feeling good. Like, so I really think that it takes, it takes a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I think it's important. Going into your Chicago buildup, did you explicitly change anything in your training or your approach to training? Yes and no. Um, yes. In the sense that I kind of mentioned it already, I was a a lot more relaxed. So for example, I went to my best friend's bachelorette party, you know, right before taper. That's actually where I ended up getting COVID. Um, But like, if if that was leading up to New York, I would have said, nope, I'm missing that. Like I said, I, I literally canceled dinners. I canceled events. I missed birthdays leading up to New York because I was so scared of getting sick, of messing with my training, of going out the night before a long run, like all of that stuff. And I said to myself, I can't do this for Chicago because I want to live my life. Like I regretted missing birthdays and all of that stuff leading up to New York. So yes, my mindset was definitely different um, in the Chicago uh, buildup. And I think that reflected a lot on when I got COVID two and a half weeks out. You know, obviously there was a part of me where it's like, ooh, am I going to be able to run this? Like, this is not fun if I can't run it. That would really suck. But I think because I had come, I had like been at peace with my decisions and been like, no, this is, this is a choice that I made. I wanted to go to my friend's bachelorette and I knew obviously there's a risk and everything hanging out with people, whatever, traveling, all of that stuff. Um, This is the choice that I made and this is what is meant to happen and that's okay. And I think if that had happened before New York, I would have like had a mental breakdown. Um, so yeah, there were definitely differences, but there were also similarities in the sense that, um, I was still like, I remember, you know, even after I got COVID, I had two taper runs left. Um, 
two, uh, two long runs in the taper left. And I remember calling Nick after one of them and just being so defeated and feeling like I, like, I can't do this. I like not trusting myself and, um, thinking that it's not going to happen. And like that happened a couple times in the training. We had one training run actually that Nick came out and ran with me and, and, and our other friend, um, Emily, like we, we ran a long run and I just felt at like absolute trash and I felt sick the rest of the day. And I was like, do I, should I even do this? All that stuff. Um, but much better mindset than the New York. And I think a lot of that is just due to experience and recognizing that like, again, a perfect training plan is not going to mean a perfect race. And boy, I learned that from New York. So I was able to let go a lot of it. And that's a big, I mean, that's a really big thing too. Cause again, it's that, the expectation of like, well, if I put this in, I'm going to get this out. Yeah. I'm like, yes, by and large, you need to put in the work to get out the result. But you know, panicking over having a trash long run. I'm like, my thing is like, if you're training for a marathon and you don't cry on at least one oh, long run, are you even training for a marathon? Literally. <laughs> like, so true. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. It happens, you know, but there's a difference between, you know, one run that kind of sucks yeah. and like weeks and weeks of like, Hey, you can, can't run more than a mile and you're supposed to be running six, you know, like I think we tend to make these mountains out of these molehills yes that tend to be either really just stuff happens, right? Life happens, stuff happens. You're going to have bad runs here and there, or we don't pay attention to the red flags that we should pay attention to. Right. Like we tend to overemphasize, oh my gosh, I was 10 seconds slower than my goal marathon pace in my workout. Well, like, okay, that happens. That sounds totally normal. And then ignore the fact that whatever this nagging hamstring injury hasn't been going away, but you're just ignoring it because it's not impeding your ability to run where it's like, you should focus more on that. Right. right. <laughs> or the fact that you're not sleeping enough or the fact that you are losing weight and you don't know why, or the fact that you're gaining weight and you don't know why, or the fact that your hair is like all the, you know, it's like, okay, you're focusing on these things, but you should be, you should be wondering about these other yeah. things. I think, I think a lot of that too just comes from, um, honestly comes from like a triggering place too. Like a lot of people don't want to focus on a hamstring injury or deal with a hamstring injury because it, it might be like, you know, they might not have healed a, a portion of themselves where it's like, if they're, if they're not running, then their mental health declines. Right. So I think a lot of it, especially going into marathon training, there has to be an emphasis on your mental health and are you ready to um, go through all of this and recognize that it's not going to be perfect and know when to say no and know when to stop and know when to rest. And if you haven't healed those portions, it's not going to be great. So like, for example, and um, I, you know, I, I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but I grew up with like disordered eating 100%. And I can say without a doubt, if I hadn't healed that relationship with my eating, like it would have been disastrous going into marathon training. And I see that a lot um, with marathon runners because most of us are underfueled, but you know, that type of stuff is going to come out when you're training for a race. And if you go into it, having not healed any of that, it's going to be really hard to listen to your body and to make the right decisions and to know what it is to say like, okay, I'm going to listen to this and this is going to be important versus, ah, that feels like it's too much for me to deal with. I'm just going to pack that right down until guess what? I can't run another step because my hamstring's still flared up. Um, so yeah, that, 
that's another, it's literally another hour conversation we could have on this podcast. About. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a really good point. You know, and the, the thing that I keep, you know, coming back to is that there's you can, you can train for whatever races you want. Like you, you should set goals and you should do the things that you want to do, but you don't have to set goal. Like you don't have to have a time goal going into every race. You can run races for fun. You can, you know, and and I, this is, I think like blows a lot of people's minds because they think, well, why would I pay money and sign up for this race and not try to do literally the best that I can? It's like, well, because maybe you're, period of life doesn't support running a PR right now, or maybe you wanted to, and then you got sick or something happened, or maybe you just really love this race, but it's in July and you're basically just going to easy jog it. Right. Or maybe your best friends in town, you're going to run this race together. Like there are so many ways to participate in races and race training cycles that don't involve pushing yourself to the edge Mm -hmm every single time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I really wish that, yes, I want people to keep running. I want people to run until the day they decide to leave this earth. But like, you don't have to sign up for races and have every single race that you run be the most aggressive goal you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most of us honestly, just like, I think the answer is like either signing up for more races and just like getting yourself out there and, and recognizing that, Oh, the one time you don't PR, Oh wow. The world doesn't end. Oh, okay. Maybe I can do this again. You know? So, um, putting yourself in those experiences, I think can be helpful. And also just like doing the, the past trauma work, whether that's in therapy or like all of that other stuff is important too. The thing about training for a race, whether it's a marathon or a 5k or whatever it is, um, it will exacerbate whatever you haven't fixed yet. (laughs) Thousand percent. Yep. So if you're wondering what your unresolved issues are, (laughs) sign up for a marathon and (laughs) sign up for a race and train really aggressively for it and see what happens. Um, and all, all jokes aside though, like for real, like if, if you really want to, and this is again, how running is about life and life teaches you, you know, running lessons and vice versa. It's like, yeah, if you want to see what's actually under the surface, the stuff that you're afraid to really poke at, because you're not quite sure what's there. If you want to get really good at running, you're gonna have to poke at that stuff and see what actually exists underneath the surface. And isn't that the beauty of running? Um, I think that, you know, there's obviously good things and bad things about it, but um, at the end of the day, like all of us runners and anyone listening to this podcast, like we can all relate to these similar experiences that every single one of us have had. Um, And I think that is, that's cool. You know, like I really do like that about the running world, but we need to be able to be open and have these conversations in order to make a change uh, in ourselves and in the community. Um, and that's like the fun part. That's the fun part of being on your podcast on being in social media and, and like talking with everyone. So, yeah. And I also think that as runners, you know, it's a, it is a solo sport, yes. even those of us who run with groups and run with friends that like. I'm, 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 I say this with all the love in the world, but you are the person who cares the most about yes. your result, right? Like I, I care the most out of anybody about, and you, Vicky, care the most about, like we tend to say, cause it matters, right? It matters to us. We put in the work, we put in the sweat, all that kind of stuff. But like other people who are good people, not dicks are going to look at you and say, Hey, that's awesome. 100%. How did you have fun? How did it go? Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't hit your goal. I hope you get it next time. Like nobody's gonna be like, you suck. I thought you were faster than that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and this goes for also like your coaches too. Like us sitting here as a coach, like I know as a coach with my athletes, like I literally, and not that I don't care about your goals, obviously as an athlete I do, but like it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And I am just so happy if you had fun, if you had a successful race for whatever reasons that we're going to define it by. And that's really all. And, and even your mom and your dad and your siblings, and they just want you to enjoy your life and have fun. So why not? Why not? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Like if you cross the finish line and you're like, I PR'd and I literally was the worst experience of my entire life. It'd be like, what? well, then why right. did like, was it worth right. it? Like th- that sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. 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 We are, we are our own worst critic. Um, but I think it's worth unpacking. And I think running is a, is a way that you could do that. Thinking ahead, is there a way that you are making sure to approach setting any future goals? Like, are you putting guardrails or like kind of thinking about this in a, in a more, um, I say three-dimensional way rather than like super secret a goal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've learned a lot from these past two marathons. I think I had to go through these experiences in order to get to where I am. Um, I'm not going to lie and say that I'm there yet. Um, I have I have a couple races on the calendar, but they're, ha- they're halves, which I'm really excited about because I feel like I have focused so hard on the marathon the last couple of years. I'm excited to have a different um, plan and focus. But yeah, I think that a lot of kind of what I discussed in the beginning of this podcast, a lot of my issues, again, stem from like a lot of just general traumas that I experienced growing up. So maybe that means, you know, speaking to my therapist a little bit more as races come up quickly um, and recognizing that it is something I am dealing with versus just saying like, oh, that sucked. I feel shame. I feel bad about myself. All right, let's do the next one. Like I am really ready to put in the work and unpack all of this. And I think that does require for me personally, that does require like true and meaningful therapy. Um, for some other people it might not, but, um, I would be kidding myself if I said, Oh, this is just something that I dealt with the last two marathons. And like, it's something that I can easily just like, (laughs) it's not going to happen next time. Like, no, I'm going to have to like dig deep and really allow for that, those emotions to come out and unpack why I feel this way. Um, so for me, it's going to take time in order to do that and a lot of work in order to do that. Um, and it might not ever be something I'm perfect at, but I am definitely seeing it in that light more so now versus before it was just like, okay, let me just sign up for another marathon. Like I'll just do it better this time. And lo and behold, yeah, I got the number, but like I didn't lose the trauma. Like that was still there. And, um, and yeah, like I mentioned before, kind of moving goalposts, like I ended with my finished time and now I'm like, okay, maybe I should run it faster. And it's like, where does it end? Where does it end? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't end. Do if, work. if, yeah. If the specific goal is the thing that you think is going to magically heal or fix you, make you happy forever, like it will make you happy for about five seconds. And then you're going to go, right. could I have yes. done that faster? Next time, could I go yeah. faster? Yeah. There's a great bit in BoJack Horseman, if anybody's watched BoJack, um, where about, you know, if he gets accidentally nominated for an Oscar, spoiler alert, <laughs> and then somebody asks him, like, would winning an Oscar make you happy? He said, yeah, for a little yeah. bit. 
right? So even these huge goals that we think are like the pinnacle of our achievement, right? Olympians who win gold medals get depressed afterwards because now what, right? It has to be more than thinking that this one gigantic goal that you magically achieve is going to fix everything. Like you're either going to achieve it or you or not. But like, like you said, the day goes on, the world still turns. 100%. Um, And I think that I learned, I had to go through that in Chicago. I had to run scared. I had to, you know, do everything that I did leading up to that day in order to now get to this point where I'm at now. And the point where I'm at now is literally just recognizing that what I'm doing is an unhealthy pattern. And maybe there's something I should be doing about that. And in my case, like I mentioned is therapy, but it doesn't just mean I wake up the next day and I'm like, ah, it's fixed. I'm never going to think about the time on the clock ever again. I'm never going to equate my worth to my, you know, my self-worth to the time ever again. Like, no, these things are, are bigger than I think we make them seem. Um, but I think that's an important conversation to have too. It's like, yeah, that that's real. Like that's an experience, a real experience that you're going through. Let's unpack that. Let's work through it. Let's not just like push it to the side and be like, well, it doesn't matter or, um, you know, it's fine and I'll deal with it another day. Like let's deal with it. And I think a lot of that will not only help myself as a runner, but me as a coach, um, me as a, as a business owner, me as a dog mom, um, (laughs) and just me as a human overall. (laughs) And I think, I mean, this kind of neatly sums up, I think our conversation is again, learning, learning to live with uncertainty Mm -hmm. and accepting that this is all always a work in progress. And it's not never gonna be perfect, right? Whether in life or business or partnerships or races, like even the really great ones, if you go back and nitpick it, you're always gonna find something, right? So it's like, all right, that's okay, right? We just we're doing the best we can. We learn the lessons, right, and move forward and keep on trying. Yeah, and accepting that perfection is it's the enemy of progress. And in order to keep moving forward, we have to let that part go one day at a time. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you so much for bearing your soul (laughs) and teaching us some lessons. My therapy session. I know. And I, I, (laughs) I know that this is probably a very relatable topic for runners, whether this is something where you recently experienced or have been dealing with for a long time, you know, we are all more alike than we are different. And I think it's really interesting how many times that I've had guests on the show or I've mentioned something where it's like, I don't know if I'm the only one, but, and then a bunch of people are like, um, me too. Right. So if you have been feeling like you are stuck in this cycle of like, you know, post-race shame because you didn't hit your goal, like this is, this is not uncommon, but we also hope that there are ways to identify it. Right. And how can we work through that? never a good place to be getting stuck in the shame spiral after bad races. Absolutely. And I think the more we talk about it, the more normal it will become. And hopefully everyone listening, um, just like lets that go too. And, and let's it be a conversation. And the more we can talk about it, the more we can really start to unpack it. Absolutely. So not to put um, any more spotlight on you in your next, <laughs> as you continue running, but if somebody's like, all right, I do want to follow her and see what she's talking about. Where can people do My that? My Instagram at trainsmartrunstrong. I'm also on TikTok. I do. So I have started posting a little bit different on TikTok. Um, and then I have my website, trainsmartrunstrong.com. Follow me on Instagram though. That's where most of my content is. 
And it's good content too. <laughs> Thank you. I can vouch for that. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, I will see you in March because yes! you and I are going to go for a run together. Can't so <laughs> wait. It's going to be so fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.